This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting from the studio at Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. I'm Gordon Teeson. I'm your host today. We're in the Nebraska Christian Studios, and I'm with my guest, Dustin Rogers. Dustin is the senior pastor at Heritage Bible Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. He was here today to do chapel for our students at Nebraska Christian Schools, and let's join Pastor Rogers with today's message. Last week we looked at the book of Galatians and we saw that Paul was writing this book to a group of people that he loved very dearly, but he was fearful that they were losing their grip of the gospel. He was fearful as a result of false teachers that they were losing their understanding of the gospel, that it is truly a gospel of grace, and that ultimately that grace secures freedom. And so that goes against our natural understanding of how we might attain heaven or how we might merit some sort of favor from God. I was just talking with my son this past week. He said to me after, after lunch on Sunday, hey, Daddy, can we talk about Jesus? And I was like, sure. And so he had obviously been in Sunday school that day and had learned some things. And so he says to me, Daddy, did you know that Jesus died on the cross for our sin? And I was like, yeah. Absolutely. Praise God for that. And then he goes, and do you know what, Daddy? He goes, if I'm really good and I obey God, I will go to heaven. But if I'm really bad and I won't obey God, I will go to hell. And you know what I said? It's wrong. Jesus died on the cross? Spot on, Dawson. You're a theologian. But as it relates to what you just said, I I said, no, that's that's not right, Dawson. Ultimately, Jesus died for our sin. And all those who place their faith and trust in Christ alone, all those who repent of their sin, recognizing that God is holy, that I have no shot of meriting favor with God, I have no chance, I'm not even equipped to make it to the level of righteousness that God requires, His holiness requires, and yet Jesus did that for us. And so all those who recognize the holiness of God and the depth of our sin, recognizing that repenting of our sin and placing our faith and trust in what Jesus did for us in Christ alone, are granted, were given, imputed the righteousness of Christ. And so grace is totally free. And if you are a believer, Jesus has granted his righteousness to you and you are free. Amen? Amen. If you have repented of sin and placed your faith and trust in Christ alone, you're free. So you're like a son and a daughter. You're a child of God. So no longer do you have to worry about your status with God. You are in Christ free. No longer slaves to the law, but free as a son. And that's what Galatians emphasizes. That's what Galatians teaches. Talk about my son a little bit more. My son Dawson is an incredibly analytical dude. He thinks things through in a pretty serious way. And so one of his favorite questions to ask me, why, Daddy? Why? And I'm like, because you need to take a nap. Why do I have to take a nap, Daddy? And I'm like, because you need to rest. Why do I need rest? Because it will help you be less cranky, right, and more happy. That's kind of a lot of our interaction. At this point in the sermon, talking about the freedom that the gospel brings, I would like to interject that question. Guess what? Wait a second. But, because if you're an analytical student of the Word of God, you might have a question. And that question may be, 
doesn't the book of James contradict what you said in that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Does James go against this? Paul, writing to Romans, says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works. We are justified by his grace. It's granted to us. It cannot be earned in any way, shape, or form. However, James 2.24 says, You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Guess what, Daddy? Guess what, Pastor Dustin? Guess what, teachers? I'm not so sure, right? If you're thinking with me and you're looking at these verses, you're saying, that's a clear contradiction. Is it not? Does not that present itself as a very clear contradiction? So, our endeavor today and our task today is to show that James does not contradict Paul, but rather Paul and James, and this is the the real gist of what I want to preach to you today, Paul and James stand back to back against opposing gospel error. Okay, Paul and James, and you might say the book of Galatians and James, stand back to back against two gospel errors or opposing gospel errors. And so if you would look at your Bibles at James chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 14. It says this, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead. The word dead meaning empty, useless. It's a corpse being by itself. Verse 18. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham, now watch this, analyze this critically. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see, that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Verse 24, you see that a man is justified. This is our verse right here. A man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay, stop right there. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Wonderful passage of Scripture. And yet, right at the outset here, my friends, I think you see in the context here and in the way it's written by James, that James is really addressing faith. Whereas Paul is addressing primarily justification, that we are granted the righteousness of Christ when we believe, repenting of sin and placing our faith and trust in Christ alone. James' primary aim, if you will, James' primary aim is to define faith. 
All right? So Paul says we are justified, we are declared righteous, perfect, blameless as a result of God's grace by faith. James is saying, now let's analyze that faith. Okay, and I want to show it to you very clearly. James takes these two faiths, saving faith and counterfeit faith, and he analyzes them in this text. He takes them in reverse order. So first of all, counterfeit faith. Counterfeit faith. Would you check out verse 14 again? I would say that counterfeit faith is defined as stated faith, verbalized faith, a statement that says, I believe, and yet that is not accompanied with appropriate manifestations or works. James says, verse 14, what use is it, my brethren? Now check it out. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says, verbalizes, states that he has faith, the kind of faith that Paul talks about, but he has no works? James asked the question then, can that faith save him? You might substitute the word kind. Can that kind of faith save him? He goes on to say, verses 15 and 16, a wonderful illustration. And the illustration is as follows. Let's say, for instance, that you uh, live in a nice home in kind of uh, middle-class America, right? And someone else, not a stranger, but rather someone that you know, it's a brother or sister, someone maybe that you go to church with or someone maybe even that you go to school with. Let's say, for instance, that you live in this nice home and one of your friends and their family comes by your house. And they knock on the door, and maybe it's a little bit late at night, it's already dark outside, but they knock on the door, and you open the door, and they say, listen, we just got evicted out of our home, or our home burned down, or something crazy like that, and they say, we need a place to stay, and we haven't had any food to eat for the last two days. James paints this picture, and he says, if you are standing in your doorway, and you say to them, verbalize to them, look, I really love you, and I really hope that someone provides for you, and I really hope that you can be warm tonight, and I really hope that you have a nice meal. God bless you. And then you close the door. James says, is that love? Is that love? Is that genuine care? Do you really care if they're warm? Do you really care? if they're filled with a nice meal, all of us in this room would say, no, they don't. They don't care at all, right? Why? Because they had a perfectly good house. They could have invited them in if they really cared about them being warm. If they really cared about them being filled, they would have said, come on in and we'll go right now and get you some food, right? And so James says this, if someone says that they have faith and yet it's not accompanied with works, It's not accompanied with appropriate manifestations. Is that faith legit? Is that faith real? He is saying, no, it's not. It's a counterfeit faith. It's a faith that's merely verbalized, but it's not authentic. So how might this look in your life? It could look like this. If someone, maybe a teacher, asked you the question, are you a Christian? You might say, yes, I am. Verbalizing, yes. I am a Christian. And so therefore verbalize that you have indeed repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Christ alone and His Spirit has come to dwell inside you. You could verbalize that. And yet, James is saying this, if it's not showing up in your life in any discernible way, 
given an opportunity to be shown, to be seen, everyone around you has the right to say, is that really a legitimate faith? That verbalization, that testifying of, I'm a Christian, is in question. This is what James calls counterfeit faith. It's verbalized, but given the opportunity, it's proven itself useless. He goes on to say something else that I think is is really, really scary. He goes on to say that many people possess only a purely intellectual faith. How does he do this in the text? Well, would you continue reading with me? Verse 18, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, you believe that God is one and you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Stop right there. He says it's very possible that some of us in this room would merely testify and say, yeah, with the raised hand or even verbalize, I'm a Christian. I have done that. I have placed my faith in Christ alone, and I'm free. I've got nothing to worry about. My ticket to heaven is punched. And yet James is saying this. It's very possible that someone could verbalize all of that, and yet in their life there are no manifestations to prove that that is true, and therefore it's counterfeit faith. And it may be something different. It may also be just a purely intellectual assent. Because James goes on to clarify and say this, you believe that God is one. One of the things that we do in Christian circles, in Christian school like this, and in churches is that we teach doctrine. Sometimes we even teach things like uh, catechisms. They are beliefs, okay, inside a belief system that comes from the Word of God. And so James says this, You might even go as far as to say, I know all the doctrine. I could give you a three-point outline of what you shared last week. That salvation only comes through repentance and faith, trusting in Christ alone. You may know all of that here, and yet it may not be real here. How does he say that in this text? He says the devils, the demons... The demon horde, they know all about God. They've seen God. Now, this is staggeringly serious. They have seen God with their own eyes. They have witnessed God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They know that God is one and that he is real. And yet, they exist in fear. Why? Because they're not saved. Because they're not Christians. They could walk you through the scriptures. The demons could. And they could tell you that's genuine truth and that's false. And yet they live in fear. When you are in Christ, you no longer have to live in fear. But rather you live in freedom as a son and daughter of God. James is here testing us. Challenging us to say this. It's not about just knowing the right things. It's not about just knowing the right truths to assent to or to even say that you believe. But rather, is it here? Has it made an impact in your life? Do you have the Holy Spirit of God within you that has sealed you? That confirms to you on a daily basis that you are indeed 
a son or daughter of God. James says this purely intellectual faith that's proven itself over a period of time as useless, not mattering at all to your life, it's counterfeit. It's empty, it's dead, it's useless. And so James is, a, is really aiming at two kinds of faith. Number one, counterfeit faith. But secondly, he addresses authentic faith. So you say, well, Dustin, in order for this message to be complete, you've got to give us what authentic faith would look like. Well, James does that, okay? He really does that throughout this whole book, and we'll show you that in a moment, which is really cool. But he does it in this very text as well. So check it out with me, verse 21. Verse 21, it says this, and again, this is authentic faith, defined as stated faith that is also accompanied by substantiating works. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And thus, verse 23, this is critical. We'll talk about this. The scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. James presents Abraham as a man possessing authentic faith, as opposed to a counterfeit faith that's proven itself useless and only intellectual. Abraham is presented as one who has authentic faith, and it was proven, proven useful in his life. It was demonstrated as useful, as real, as though it mattered in his life. And how is it demonstrated? It was demonstrated there, you can see, in your scriptures, verses 21 and 22. It says that Abraham's faith was justified in that he was willing to sacrifice his only son on the altar. So here's the image, and this is very important. Way back, and we don't have time to look at it, but way back in Genesis chapter 15, it really starts in Genesis chapter 12, it culminates in Genesis chapter 15, God establishes a covenant with Abraham. God enters into a self-binding, and it's really beautiful. And you should check it out for yourself. Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. God enters into a self-binding covenant with Abraham. And Abraham doesn't do any work. In fact, during the process of God ratifying the covenant, God puts Abraham to sleep. And it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of the fact that Abraham does nothing to earn merit with God. He does nothing to earn this status as being a friend of God. He's asleep, but God ratifies this covenant, and yet Abraham simply believes. So God says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And at that point in time, Abraham had no children, Abraham and Sarah. God is saying, your descendants, as the father of many nations, will be like the stars in the sky. Now, Abraham's like 80, right? Abraham's like 80 years old. He has no kids, he and his wife. And God is saying, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations, and your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. And you know what Abraham did? He believed it. Even though it sounded preposterous, and even though, my friends, this gospel message to us sounds preposterous, like why would Jesus die for my sin? And why would God offer me freedom and righteousness and an inheritance on the basis of faith sounds preposterous. It sounded preposterous to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, that he would have this many descendants, and yet he believed God. And so verse 23 in this text quotes Genesis chapter 15, where it says that Abraham believed God, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. 
So God, in that moment of belief, reckoned to Abraham his righteousness, and he was called then the friend of God. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham trusts in God, and God, as a result, adopts Abraham into his family, establishes a covenant with him, in a very similar way as God would adopt you into his family today. God enters into this covenant relationship with Abraham, and then in chapter 22, in chapter 22, God then comes back to Abraham and says this, Abraham, now you have a kid, and his name is Isaac. Things are looking good at this point. Maybe I will be the father of many nations. Maybe I will have this many descendants because I have Isaac now. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to now take Isaac on the top of that mountain, and I want you to kill him. I want you to sacrifice him as an offering of worship to me. Now, here's the moment of truth. Would Abraham show, demonstrate, that his faith was real. How would he do that? He would do that by continuing to believe in God, right? That even in this moment, with an equally preposterous offer, as God saying, I want you to take this boy that I've blessed you with, miraculously so, and I want you to take him on the top of this mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him as an offering of worship to me. And Abraham did what? In James chapter 2, verse 23, it says that Abraham believed God. He believed him. In verse 21, it says that he did. He went and he was willing to offer up his own son as an offering of worship to God. And therefore, the faith that was stated and verbalized and entered into in Genesis chapter 15 was proven true in Genesis chapter 22. Isn't this cool? So what we're seeing here, my friends, is this. Abraham's faith was authentic. Abraham's faith was authentic. Therefore, what James is proving here in this context, what James is proving here is that authentic faith matters. All right, I'm going to say that again, and I want you guys to say amen to that, okay? What James is proving here is that authentic faith matters. Amen? Amen. James does this in this text in a number of ways. Number one... He does so by addressing faith, not justification. All right, so let's be very clear. He's addressing faith, not justification. What type of faith do you claim to have? What type of faith is that which would justify your soul? James has already stated in chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, that faith is a gift. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God who is the father of lights, who has initiated, James 1, 17 and 18, has initiated adoption of you and I into his family. But here in this passage of Scripture, through direct explanation, James is saying that Abraham's faith was verbalized in Genesis 15 and proven authentic in Genesis chapter 22. So what James is addressing is very different than what Paul is addressing. What James is addressing is very different than what Paul is addressing. Here's something that will help. Paul, you might say, is declaring, we are declared righteous, we are justified by God on the basis of our faith in Christ alone. James is saying, our works declare or justify or give evidence to the genuineness of our faith in Christ alone. So how James uses the term justify is critical because we still have to answer the question, James 2.24, he seems to use the, the word justified in the same way that Paul does. 
we still have to answer the question, what does he mean by the word justified? Let me illustrate it this way. When I was a single guy and about 24 uh, years old, I really got into the game of golf, and I really enjoyed it, all right? And as a single guy, not having a family, not having someone to monitor my finances, right, I thought to myself, maybe I can afford at this point in time in my life to buy a set of golf clubs. So in order to do that, what did I do? I went to my bank account, and I started to evaluate my funds, right, to seek to justify the expenditure. So we're talking about the use of the word justify as Paul uses it, as opposed to how James uses it here in James chapter 2. I analyzed my bank account to see if I could justify the expenditure, right? What does that mean? I was evaluating it to see if there was proof that I could indeed take monies and purchase golf clubs. How James uses the term justified in chapter 2 is very clear through the context and very clear through his example of Abraham himself is that James is saying your faith needs to be evaluated. Your faith needs to be evaluated. So to the question, are you saved? Towards an audience trending towards legalism, Paul would say, don't tell me that you're trusting in anything other than Christ alone. Please, don't tell me that Jesus isn't enough. There is nothing you could ever do to earn favor with God. But to James, in the question of are you saved, he's addressing an audience trending towards license. And he says, don't tell me that you just have faith. Show me that you just have faith. Show me in your life that you have faith. Because there's an enemy coming down this way. And my friends, you're going to be tempted this way. There's an enemy coming this way that would say to you, look, You're a Christian, man, so it doesn't matter how you live. You're free, right? Didn't that dude say that? Doesn't Galatians say that? You're free, right? So why does it matter? Live it up, right? Live it up. It doesn't matter. It's all about grace, man, right? It's all about grace. We're free. So live how you please. James is like this, back to back with Paul saying, No, 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 not true. Not true whatsoever. We're justified by faith alone. But that faith matters to me. And Paul is saying to opposing enemy, to people that are saying this, look, Jesus is great and everything, but he's not enough. Like in order to be sure that you're saved, you need to do these three or four or five things. Right? To those people, Paul is saying, not true whatsoever. In fact, if you're trusting in that, you're not trusting in Jesus at all. It's all or nothing, man. You're trusting in Christ alone, right? Paul and James are back to back. So this is not a contradiction. The bottom line here, my friends, is this. This is not a contradiction at all. Paul is saying to the Romans and to the Galatians, look, we're justified by grace through faith alone. If you receive circumcision, you are saying that you're trusting in that and you're not saved. But James is saying this, I agree with Paul. We're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And yet, if that is true, it should matter to your life. It should make a difference in your life. Can I just tell you in conclusion, my friends, how James, the writer of this epistle, how James died? James, in 62 AD, was indicted because he preached this gospel. The gospel that Paul preached. A gospel of grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, what he did for us. And they took him on top of the temple. And as the people gathered around below, they said to him, James, repent and recant of preaching in Jesus' name. And James, 
to the entire crowd said, I cannot. And he stood with Jesus Christ alone. They took him and they threw him off the temple and he hit the bottom and yet he didn't die. And immediately these men ran down and they gathered around him and they began to pick up stones to stone him. And they gave him another chance and yet his only reply was, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. You've been listening to a message by Dustin Rogers. He was our chapel speaker here at Nebraska Christian Schools. Well, this wraps up the program today. You've been listening to Truth and Focus. For my co-host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Thiessen. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus. Mm-hmm.